0: If you just let modelers use observations, they will do mistakes. They will do it wrong because they don't know how the observations were made and so on. So, so it's really having this dialogue between the observations, the ones that are taking the observations and the modelers, so they talk the same language, so they know what they're doing.
1: The icebot is the podcast about polar science and the people. We talked to scientists who went on board Polarstern, the German research icebreaker, for the biggest research expedition in the Arctic. Um, good morning, everyone, to the IcePod, the podcast about polar science and the people, and the official podcast for the year of polar prediction. Um, yeah. Good morning. Um, there is uh, Sarah on the other line. Hello, Sarah. Hi. Hi, good morning. And then we have a very special guest today, uh, Gunilla Svensson. Good morning, Gunilla,
0: to Stockholm. Good morning. Actually, it's Uppsala. I live in Uppsala, and since we're all working from home, I'm in Uppsala.
1: Right, you're in Uppsala, <laughs> it's in Sweden, yes. Yes. which is not far away from Stockholm. You, so you're commuting, no. right? Usually, I'm usually
0: commuting by the train. Yes, so it's seventy kilometers. So it's it's fine. Okay. But that's... I haven't been at work for a long time now because we're not supposed to be commuting anywhere.
1: Yeah. Okay. So mm-hmm. so that is also in Sweden the case because Sweden is more loose than other countries, right? But home offices. Yes.
0: Yeah, home office if if possibly is recommended. So I've been home for well, since March something, yes. Okay, okay. We are allowed to go to work, but since I have this commute, I don't wanna stress the commuting. We are on the same boat.
1: (laughs) Same here, same here. I usually go once once a week to Bremerhaven, which is about a similar um way, sixty kilometers from Bremen to Bremerhaven. So we do the same sitting at home most of the time these days. Yeah, so Gunilla is um, a professor for metrology at the University of Stockholm, and she's also a steering group member of the Polar Prediction um, Project, and we want to talk today um, with her about the targeted observing periods um, for the year of polar prediction. Maybe maybe a little bit about the background um, for this targeted observing period, so um, previously uh, for the year of polar prediction, we had special observing periods. So uh, these were periods when um, routine measurements in at the in the Arctic um, at Arctic meteorological station and also in the Antarctic, we increased routine observations. So these were, for example, radio sound launches, and um, also buoy deployment was enhanced during these periods. And these periods were usually about two to three uh, months duration. And then these um, extra observations, these data were um, fed into what is called the global telecommunication system of the World Meteorological Organization. Um, and that is a system where, where the data is fed in um, to be available for forecasting centers to make their weather forecasts. Correct me if I'm wrong here.
0: No, that sounds right. Yes. Yeah. You're correct. So it's it's the so the radio soundings are like the backbone for doing weather forecasting. That's a very important system of observations that is needed for for initializing the weather forecasts. Yeah. So, so that so those are routine measurements that are taking uh, that are taken at at uh, all over the globe at the same time. So they can be and then they are distributed all to all weather centers. So they can be fed into what's called the assimilation systems mm-hmm. to be able to uh, find the initial state. So how is the weather right now before you can start a forecast model to calculate how the weather will be in future?
1: And, and so we did that with the year of polar prediction. We um, sent out many emails asking the met stations in the Arctic and Antarctic to contribute to that, to uh, launch extra radiosons. So usually they yeah. maybe do it once or twice a day. And during yes. the special observing periods, we had um, asked them to do it up to four times a day. And many of them did. And so we get um, a pretty big database, I think, uh, for the special observing periods that is also currently looked at and analyzed and um, understood better where actually more observations help to improve the forecast. And now, I mean... After we had these, these were in 2018 and 2019. And now we moved with JARP, with the steering group for the Polar Prediction Project, we moved into what is called a targeting observing period. So what is that, Gunilla?
0: Well, so so the first one, when we had these special observing periods, we we decided beforehand that we're going to focus these months and then we're going to do a lot of extra observations and see if that, Extra, those extra observations help the quality of the forecasts and also see how important they are and where they should be and how many you should have. And then you can do a lot of numerical experiments. So you can remove some of these uh, observation systems and see what the effect is on the initial state and then on the forecast. on the forecast. Policy. So you
1: can make forecasts using the extra observations and just not using yes, them. Yes, you can remove and them then... and you
0: can see the effect yeah. of of these extra observations if they are... how much they add to the forecast quality. And while doing that, we were seeing that those two months, which is kind of a short period for doing this kind of experiment. So so the the most studied ones so far are the winter, the first SOP in the Northern Hemisphere, which is a winter case. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, the the increase was not that that much uh, for the overall period, but we saw that there were some occasions when it had a lot of impact. And those are the occasions when we have a lot of air mass, a lot of air that goes from the uh, lower latitudes towards the Arctic, or vice versa, when it goes from the Arctic to uh, mid-latitudes. So in certain uh, flow situations, in, in certain uh, weather regimes, it seems that the uh, uh, the observations or the extra observations are more important. And, and that could be because the... Um, you really need to know better where the air masses are or that the models have uh, more problems with doing this transport of air from south to north the models are actually we know that sort of that the weathers are better when when the weather systems come from from west and go east than if they go from south to north yeah so in Sweden, we usually start, uh, the weather forecast usually starts then we have a low pressure system sitting over the Great Britain, and it's now moving towards Europe and coming to Sweden.
1: Mm-hmm. I think
0: you have a similar thing in Germany as well. I mean, so so that's the sort of normal procedure. But if you have a storm system that goes from, from like Iceland up to Svalbard and then further into the Arctic, that's a, another situation where it goes from south to north. And that's a little bit harder to forecast. And that's those are the occasions that are most important for the Arctic.
1: And how often do these air mass trans- transport from south to the Arctic
0: happen? Well, so they happen uh, not that unfrequently. And they happen at different locations. And they happen at the, uh, in the Atlantic sector and also in the, on the other side of, from the Pacific and going into the Arctic. So now I'm talking about the really high Arctic, so like, air masses that are warm and moist that reach maybe 80 degrees north or, or further north. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> and we've done some statistics on, on how often they are, and, and and there are problems with the models then to, to do this correctly. And this is something we need to have to be able to do the weather forecast more correct in, in the Arctic, because if you sit in the Arctic and there is um, it's cold and, and dry and there's not a lot happening, and then suddenly there is warm and moist air with a lot of cloud as well, coming from the south there, then the increase in temperature can easily be 20 degrees or so. So it's a very big change in the Arctic. And that has an impact on the, uh, on the Arctic sea ice. So. Yeah.
1: This actually happened some time ago. So we had our first targeted observing period which was yes. quite an interesting one, mm-hmm. right? Because we had a difference of temperature up to 20 degrees or even more.
0: Yes, yeah, so, so from, a, from the one day to the other, you had a really big increase there in the temperature, but, but the, where, where we now have observations since we have Polarstern up in the Arctic and when we have observations in the central Arctic. And, and these occasions, these, these sort of flow systems, those are the ones that we are really targeting with this targeted observing mm-hmm. periods. So we're trying to focus, not having spending extra uh, extra soundings or extra observations when they don't matter, but really try to target where, where when we have a case which we really want to understand better and test the models if they are able to do this kind of transport and getting the air mass properties right so you get this kind of temperature increase. Uh, yeah. In the, yeah. in the Arctic, as, as we were observing. Yeah. So, so that's, uh, so I've been spending quite some time during the spring looking at different uh, information of the forecast models and observations and all sorts of things to try to figure out when these things will happen. Exactly. And then we had this, and then we had this just starting over the Easter weekend. I noticed that now the things are changing. So we will have this kind of flow from south to north and we should try to monitor that. Then, like
2: you are monitoring, and then you see when there is a change happening. And then, what do you do? With whom do you get in contact? And and you were mentioning that now it's particularly interesting because Polaction is there. Yeah. So, are you just in contact with Mosaic, or what are
0: other stations you you get in touch with? Uh, no. So to set up this uh, targeted observing periods, uh, we started quite a, a while ago, and Kirsten was really involved in this as well. We sent we sent letters to to the weather centers that are doing the observations and also to uh, other weather centers and asking if we can well uh, what kind of products we could we could have in terms of uh, forecasts and uh, things that we can use to to judge if right. there will be such an occasion uh, that's interesting to do observations with I mean, you can't tell the station that tomorrow or right now I want an extra sounding. You have to be, uh, tell them in advance that now it's yeah. coming and, and then a couple of days before you need to make sure that they are aware and then they can increase the frequencies of, of, of radio sounds. They need to have balloons and, and sounds available and personnel that can launch them. If they are not automatic, some stations have automatic, so then it's easier. And they cost quite a lot as well is to each of them. So it's a, it's an extra effort from everyone uh, when when we have this kind of uh, extra observing systems uh, on this kind of experiments yeah. but there's been a, a lot of interest from the uh, from the met services and a lot of good responses so they are really so i have a network of people that are uh, running those stations um that are around uh the the atlantic and uh to the world and also polarstan and then and they all increased their frequency uh, of uh, sending radio sounds yeah. <clears throat> uh, during the period that we were seeing. Uh, but uh, I, I had noticed them a few days before and then they started when, when I sort of told them that now we need some extra. Although some of them already had extra radio soundings because of the situation we are in now with the COVID-19. Um, there are not as many aircrafts going around in the atmosphere that normally reports as well. And those are also used to initialize the models. And since they are lacking now, a lot of med service stations have already decided we need to have more radio more than once or twice per day, or up to four times a day. Uh, That's actually of this a great
1: initiative, I have to say, that they um, almost immediately reacted on um, um, having less of these airplane measurements called AMDA, just for, the, for some background, so Gunilla is leading this effort within Europe um, to have this targeted observing periods um, taking place. And so you have a group with you um, who you discuss with and uh, you, monitor, you monitor the situation quite well with this group. And once you find uh, something interesting, you're sending emails out to the med stations and ask them about five days ahead, I remember, the first email and then forty-eight hours and twenty-four hours again, right? To confirm.
0: Yeah, so I'm updating so so when we had a TOP, so I'm telling them that then now we have something coming up, and then I send an email basically every every morning yeah. them telling yeah. them that we are it's going on. And I, I made a table of when and where I wanted extra radio sounds because when the air is 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 traveling uh, north, if we're just targeting exactly uh, this way, where this air mass is and trying to follow it in like a what we call a Lagrangian perspective. So we follow the air mass. We try to follow where, on its way mm-hmm. north. It passes over the stations at different times and not all. So we don't have to increase the frequency of the observations everywhere right. uh, for all yeah. stations at the same time, but we're mm-hmm. trying to follow. So there were different days and the different... Uh, stations uh, were supposed to release extra radio sounds. and then at at Polarstern at the mosaic site uh, they did it for the whole week because they were sort of the receiving end of this warm air exactly they actually took uh, there was like two pulses of warm air and they took a little bit different routes so we captured both of these two but airlines. both of the both of them reached Polarstern right yes they did yeah yes mm-hmm. so uh, and that's also, I mean, the first one increased the temperature uh, quite a lot, and then it decreased a little bit again, and then the second one came, and then it was the the, the warmest period uh, for that period. And exactly. you can see that very clearly when you see. And it was not just at Polarstein, you can see that if you look at the average temperature north of 80 degrees north, that the whole area was impacted by this uh, warm air. So it was really yeah. a, a abrupt increase in temperature for the whole, the whole region.
1: So at Polarstern, during Mosaic, during uh, the one year, they are um, releasing radio sounds four times daily from Polarstern. Um, So maybe, can you say something about the role of Polarstern within this targeted observing periods?
0: I mean, it plays a crucial role, right? Yes, because what we're really interested in, so the radio sounds that we send up, they do profiles of temperature, humidity and winds. Mm-hmm. So you get a vertical profile, so you get one snapshot of how the structure, the vertical structure of the atmosphere is from the surface and, and up to the well, stratosphere, very far up. But we are interested in the lowest, maybe a uh, couple of kilometers, where the warm and moist air is. So this uh, radar sound is then, they give us this uh, information of the vertical structure of the atmosphere, of those standard variables, temperature, uh, winds and humidity but we don't have any information of the clouds or details in, in other things mm-hmm. but we have that at Polarstern there we have a really really good information of everything from in the ocean through the ice and the snow on the ice and the lower part of the atmosphere which is turbulent the clouds, the cloud phase, the, how many droplets there or how many ice crystals there are if it's precipitating or not so all the kind of all the clouds, they measure everything you can think of in a column from the ocean up to the top of the atmosphere. Yeah. So there you have a so we have a really, really good endpoint. And that's what's so special because we normally don't have that, especially not during the winter. Yeah. We don't have that information, that detailed information of where the clouds are and how they are interacting with the radiation and so on. So we can really study it into details of all the processes there. And that's what's gets me excited that as you can hear, we will have going to have a yes. lot of information there for a scientist to really understand how are the properties of the air mass when it reaches there. And the air mass originates, there, far far south on the on yeah. the, the uh, just outside of the it picks up its water somewhere outside of US. Mm-hmm. Probably it's already I haven't really looked in detail, but it comes from like, mm-hmm. uh, outside of Florida, and then goes on the way up to the Arctic in a few days.
1: So, mosaic is currently the paradise for any scientist, yeah?
0: Well, a scientist that is really interested in the <laughs> Arctic conditions, yes. <laughs> <laughs> if you're a tropical meteorologist, I don't think you care that much about that.
1: <laughs> yeah, but anyway, I mean, it's interesting about these, um that you study with the targeted observing periods now the linkages between the mid-latitudes and the polar regions here, the Arctic in this case. So... This uh, first uh, TOP we had over Easter or the week after yeah. the Easter weekend. There was, um, I think, the maximum temperature that reached Polarstern was on the Sunday. It was,
0: um, as I remember, yeah, it April. Yet. Yes, April. And so it started. So the period is April 20 to April 19. I think. Yeah. So 19. I think we had the maximum.
1: Yeah, 18, yeah. and that was that was um 0. Point, minus 0. Point, plus
0: plus 0.1 degrees centigrade right oh, i don't remember sure? <laughs> i think it was <laughs> I, yeah. I think yes well, it was very very close to the melting point that's that's for that's for sure and and yeah
1: and that was very different yeah. from what we they had before because they were freezing i saw pictures actually on social media with uh i don't know <laughs> And uh, very, I don't know if they were wounded or so, but they were really, um, it was really cold before that.
0: So maybe. And it was cold for a long time because we had yeah. the same kind of circulation. So there was not a lot of, of air mass exchange between the low mm-hmm. latitudes and the Arctic. That wasn't yeah. happening for a long time. It was getting kind of boring. <laughs> I was looking at the at the forecast and there was nothing coming <laughs> of this kind exactly. of situation. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so we asked um, people actually on Twitter about their sort of guess or forecast, better to say, what uh, would be the maximum temperature that would uh, reach Polarstern on the Sunday at 12 UTC. And we got uh, quite a lot of input, actually. Many people actually contributed to this forecast challenge, uh, so to say. Um, we will at another episode we will have a talk to the winner of this uh, first. Twitter challenge. Targeted observing period challenge. Yeah. Yes. So that was, we can say that already, that was Thomas Jung from uh, the Alfred Wagner Institute, who actually happened to be the chair of the PPB steering group. Yes. Was he really allowed to participate? (laughs) He was. It sounded fishy, but
2: it was not. Maybe
0: not next time. (laughs) Maybe he has some inside knowledge. I don't know. Maybe
1: he
2: has special connections.
1: I don't know. We were here about what, what he did, how he did this forecast. I don't know. Um, I haven't talked to him about this, but we will um, have another episode on that one so he can elaborate on this a little bit.
0: And then you should ask him about his first forecast because that was not the best one. He updated his forecast. True. That's true. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Discuss that with him.
1: <laughs> but we are, also, we are not only looking at um, warm air mass intrusions into the Arctic, but also cold air outbreaks. Would you say there would be a cold air outbreak sometime soon or is that just uh, Europe will be full of
0: summer and hot weather now the next couple of weeks? So the arctic is actually getting uh, getting warmer now because we're getting into Mm -hmm. spring and the sun has come up in the arctic region so so Mm -hmm. to really have a cold outbreak you really need to have the really cold air in the arctic and that's forming so in the end of the winter uh, so in march i think you have the coldest air so that's when you have the maximum sea ice extent in the arctic. So you then you have the coldest air masses there, and that's when when they are moving south. Then, uh, that's when we really and, and we've had that. I mean, I think you've experienced kind of cold weather now in the spring in, in northern Germany as well. I mean, Sweden it's been really cold now in yeah. May, and that's because there is a transport of of the air from the Arctic here.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, but uh, we didn't monitor this for the TOPs.
0: No, because with, uh, those are. Those are, uh, we haven't really looked that much of it because it hasn't really passed over any of the stations that we have extra observations, but I'm sure we're gonna study them uh, from using other means, but it's not a really uh, very interesting situation to get more soundings, I think. Okay. That's that's Mm -hmm. not that important for that that study. So we haven't really looked that much at that.
1: Yeah, but do we expect any other warm air intrusion from the mid-latitudes now to the Arctic sometime
0: soon? yeah there is one going on now but uh, actually, unfortunately our uh, the station that we have that we have as an endpoint the Polarstern has now packed up almost everything and are going south yes. to exchange uh, the crew right uh, crew and scientists and and there have been a lot of changes and a lot of discussions and a lot of problems with how to do that due to the covid situation so the scientists and the crew that are going up now are going to be exchanged and going up to the Arctic, uh, they've been in uh, quarantine for I think seventeen days or something yeah. before they were allowed to to, to go there.
1: They just so, left uh,
0: Bremerhaven, yeah. yeah, the other day, and they left Bremerhaven. Are going north, and Polarstein is is uh, going south. Then, and they're gonna meet outside of Trondheim, I think. Exactly, yeah, yeah. and do this exchange. So there's there's not so many observations. So they will still do soundings, but I don't know about the other all the other exciting information that I was talking about having the whole profile. Yeah, yeah. Uh, those observations are not done, and it's and, it, and Polystan is moving as well, which makes it a whole difficult, d- a lot di- more difficult yeah. to really understand. Right. And then the the situation there is warm air going to the Arctic now, but it's not going the the straight route that we are looking at from the south to the north over the Atlantic, mm-hmm. which passes over the stations that we have engaged. Now it's going a little bit more turning around and going in over uh, Russia and ah, then okay. going north. So it's a so the atmosphere is really tricky when it comes to a following and how the air mass is going. <laughs> yeah.
1: But then we basically wait until Polarstern is has picked up the new team, like four and mm-hmm. has gone back into the central arctic we have to see whether it goes to the same um, ice flow as it has been um the last yeah, maybe it's month. going somewhere else yeah maybe it's going possible. somewhere else yeah because the ice is getting instable as far as i could follow on on the
0: news um yeah they are further they are a bit south <laughs> they are still uh, the, the ice flow that they've been following is still at like 83 degrees north but it's it's more southwards than than would have been ideal yeah. to, to mm-hmm. continue study through the whole summer. Yeah. Right.
1: The Year of Polar Prediction is an initiative of the World Meteorological Organization.
2: It is a 10-year program with the
1: goal to improve weather and sea ice forecast in the Arctic and Antarctic. The Year of Polar Prediction brings together the international science community with the National Weather Centers and those people who are actually using weather and sea ice forecasts in their daily work and life.
2: Mosaic is a huge international project coordinated by the German Alfred Wegener Institute for Polar and Marine Research.
1: For one year, from September 2019 to October 2020, Polarstern, the German research icebreaker, is frozen into the central Arctic sea ice. Around Polarstern, there is a distributed network of instruments set up of the surrounding sea ice flow.
2: These instruments on the ice provide a unique dataset that never existed before. In particular, measurements will be taken during polar night.
1: These extra observations will cover all aspects in the Arctic, from the atmosphere through the sea ice and into the deep ocean. These observations
2: will improve our understanding of the changing Arctic climate and weather.
1: Based on this better understanding, models that forecast weather and sea ice in the Arctic can be improved, which is crucial for the year of polar prediction. Therefore, Mosaic
2: has been endorsed by the year of polar prediction, as it will significantly contribute to making better weather and sea ice predictions for the Arctic.
1: There was actually another uh, impact COVID-19 had to this uh, targeted observing period because we wanted to start actually with a aircraft campaign, Mm
0: -hmm. which had to be canceled due to COVID-19, right? Yes, there have been a lot of things, a lot of experimental work uh, that would have been in combination with Poloster and this. This year, and um, both this spring and summer, that are not happening now because of COVID. And the first one was that was canceled. Then was this uh, yeah. yeah. that was supposed to happen in April.
1: Will this uh, some kind of it be being
0: postponed uh, to another time? It's yeah. postponed. Yeah. So it's, So the plan is that it will be uh, it will be going uh, next year. Instead, okay. Yes. But
1: Pol- Polashen wouldn't be there
0: then. I mean. No, then the color yeah. is not there. So, so, so we are lacking one of the uh, observational points uh, mm-hmm. for doing that. Yeah. you were supposed to join the the campaigns. Uh, well, I'm I'm part of that aircraft campaign in terms of planning and doing modeling uh, and possibly also going to the sites. But you, so but you were not going on on the Maybe, field. Maybe uh, you well not this year, but there is another one coming up, uh, which is a also, which was planned for next year, which is now postponed to the year after. So I don't, I don't really know exactly when I think the, I think that's, that's what disturbs me the most with this COVID right now, COVID right now, that plans cannot be made and we don't know if they can be true. So it's really difficult to plan.
1: Yeah. But are you into field work in general, Gunella, Or are you more like, like the modeler sitting at the computer? I'm, I
0: have done a lot of my career is built on modeling, but I have been in the field before, uh, actually on Svalbard. In, once before, okay, like, but a long time ago. Uh, and also some other so and I use observations a lot. But I don't really yeah. uh, go and pick them up.
1: But it makes sense also for a modeler to, at some point, go into the region. Absolutely, he or she is modeling Absolutely. about. Right? There,
0: it's there are so <laughs> many things that comes with observations, and I mean, so observations. Uh, you can say, I mean, that's if you take observations, that's that's really the truth that you're you're capturing there. That's that's what you experience. But you only have part of the truth because you don't know yeah. all the other things that you didn't observe. So, so looking at observations, you get one part exactly. of, the, of the puzzle. If you're using a model that I am doing, uh, you get everything. You, know, you have everything in the model, and everything is coming out of the model in, as a consistent, but it might be totally wrong. Uh, and, then, and so it's the yeah. blending between. Uh, so you can use models to understand what you need to observe and how to understand things. And you can use models in combination with observations to better analyze the observations to understand for instance where the air came from or uh, mm-hmm. getting a, a other parameters that you couldn't get from the observations you can fill in with the model sort of so you can understand a com- more complete picture yeah Yeah. So, so it's in this combination between observations and models that are really where we can make a lot of progress And
1: you do you
0: do coupled coupled
1: modeling? What does this mean?
0: Yes. So coupled. So um, well, you can couple it in many ways. But in this instance, when you're talking about the Arctic, it's coupling with the atmosphere and the ice and the ocean. So that's normally what you talk about. And your coupled modeling is coupling the atmosphere and the ocean. And the time scales of things mm-hmm. happening in those systems is very different. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, as an atmospheric scientist interested in things happening on a a couple of days normally you can sort of ignore what's going on in the ocean because it's much slower and atmosphere is traveling very fast compared to the ocean Mm -hmm, and atmosphere has a very low heat content compared to the ocean water can contain a lot more heat and it's much slower to change than the atmosphere okay so in, in many cases, there is not a lot of interaction between. So, so you, you only sort of need to know what the surface is now to be to, to do something. Um, but in the Arctic, the ice is really rapidly changing when you're changing the atmosphere. The ice is responding and can also change properties which can feed back on the atmosphere. So that's why it's so important to study the couple system. Mm-hmm. There. So when we're talking about this warm air coming to the Arctic, it's warm as clouds, and what it does is that it, it radiates heat from those cloud layers down to the surface, and the surface responds and increases, as we said, the, the one day that we had, when it so it was minus, minus 25, minus 30 degrees, and then it suddenly was minus two instead. Yeah. So you have a really big increase in temperature, and that's because of this atmosphere is bringing heat there and sending it down to the surface, and the surface responds. And then if you have the right conditions, so like in spring now, or where we are now, I mean, if you have such an event, then you can come up to the melting point. Right. And then the surface melts. And when the surface starts melting, it goes from this bright white surface that reflects sunlight very efficiently to a much darker surface that absorbs uh, solar radiation a lot more efficiently. Yeah. So then when the clouds are gone and the sun is up again, then a lot more heat, from the sun is absorbed by the surface. Mm-hmm. And then you start the melting of the sea ice.
1: This is when you have these so, beautiful melt ponds on the ice. I actually have the melt, to say they're yeah. beautiful turquoise color, but it's yes. uh, the surface is getting darker then
0: taking more of the sunlight. Yes, so, so, when they, so, so later in the spring, then, then uh, the, the melting is continuing at the surface and you get those kind of ponds. Yeah. And the turquoise color comes because there is ice under. Yeah. So it's like a little lake on the ice. Uh, and, and that absorbs a lot of t- a lot of the heat as well. And it's changing. So, so when you have water on that surface, it's different if you have water or if you have ice or if you have snow yeah. in how the solar radiation is reflected. Uh, so it's... A, so it's actually getting very complicated to put that into the models when we have these melt ponds coming in there. <laughs> Is there
1: a model that has the melt ponds
0: in it? Yeah. Uh, yes, that's uh, the sea ice models are are starting to have melt ponds in them, yes. And and in some way they are already there, but in a very uh, what we call a parameterized way. So we, we're describing this seasonal change in, in the albedo mm. of different things so it's 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 melt ponds and then it's also that the ice is varying over the uh, surface so if you look at uh, 1 square kilometer then you have a lot of different things within yeah. that square, square kilometer and then you have a lot of different surface conditions in yeah. that which is just covered by one atmospheric point so, so that's a really challenge to 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 have all that and that's why it's called mosaic because you have this whole Mosaic of surfaces yeah. that goes in to, and influences the atmosphere. Yeah. And
1: the targeted observing period are actually a key part of what is called Job Site MIP. What does this yes.
0: mean? Exciting yes. name, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so well, the Job part of it is the year of polar prediction. The site is that we are using sites, which are uh, locations where we have lots of observations. It's not just Polarstern and Mosaic. We have a lot of land stations as well, which has been run for a long time or a lot. We have several land stations that are in the Arctic, mostly on the coast around the yeah. Arctic Rimland. Uh, so those are the sites that are in. And, um, and then we have the MIP, which is modeling the comparison project. Uh, So those are that's what the acronym stands for. But the whole thing goes is that, as I explained, I'm a modeler, I use observations, but I'm a modeler, I don't know all the details of how you take observations the best way and how you uh, make sure that you that it's representative and that it's uh, done in the right way and so on. And being a, a modeler, it takes all of my effort as a scientist to run the models and look at the output mm-hmm. and so on. And then I, I was supposed to then work together with the observations. And if I want to use one site, uh, then I can spend a lot of time to figure out, oh, how do I get the data for mm-hmm. that site? What's the format for, for that data? Does it come in, in a text file? Or is it packed in another computer file? Or, and is it, uh, what's the time resolution? What is it? What's what's the name of that variable that I want? Temperature is usually easy, but if you want to have cloud variables or more advanced things, then it becomes a a whole lot of work to do that. And as a global modeler, you want to know that your model works in the tropics, in the Arctic, everywhere else. And then it's a lot of effort to combine all these observations and use them. So usually... Only, you only, or usually, them. So, so this is like an effort to try and to make it easier for the modeller to pick up observations okay. and do the comparison. This is maybe getting complicated. <laughs> How do you <laughs> do, do that? that? I mean,
1: otherwise, you need lots of people, but you still need lots of people to contribute yes. to that.
0: We, we need a lot of people, yes. But what we are trying to do is that we are trying to. So we are motivating the modellers that are weather forecast models mm-hmm. the global climate modellers to take out high-frequency model data for these locations where we have observations. And then we are spending a lot of effort to trying to convince the observationalists that are responsible for these stations that they should put their data into the same format. So we have like a one-to-one comparison. So we know what the temperature is called in the file where we have the model output, and it's called the same thing in the observational file. And then we can easily do comparisons with the model's observations at one station or at all the stations that are in this network, which we are working with in the upside MIP. And then we have these special times, which we have decided that we want to focus on. Uh, So the first one is the uh, SOP, Mm -hmm. so the Special Observing Period for the Arctic, the Northern Hemisphere one that we talked about before. So that's the first part then that we want to really do this kind of thing. So we have a lot of modelers that I have already put in there. And their files then in a database uh, with detailed observ- model data that can be used by many more people. And how the...
1: do these models compare now to the observations for the SOPs?
0: Well, there are some things that, that we can really see that there are some problems that all the models show. So typically, they all have problems with, so now we're talking about land stations mm-hmm. where we have snow in the winter time. They have problems with okay. really cold conditions when there is little ex- mixing in near the uh, near the surface, which we call is stable boundary layers. And that's that's something that goes across all models. They all have problems with that. And then we identify that well, some models they have another problem and they might have the problem mm-hmm. with with the winds or something, not the other models. And then and then that model group knows then okay, we have compared these different models and, and they all are doing a better job than our model is doing with this. and then they have the incentive to, to start looking into to that. and then we and then we put in the observations and then we see that okay this was the one outlier that looked different from the start. okay It was the right one because that compared better to the observations and they all the others have a common problem maybe. So this is how we're working together as a community to to use the fact that we have different model results for the same period and same location then we can really start comparing and learning from each other of how, to, how we can advance the models and how we can understand what is going wrong and how we can improve the models. About the, the upside, and even on the
2: information that you collect as like, as a network of modelers and observers and, and also the, the weather centers, I expect, where is all this information coming together?
0: Yeah, so we're putting them all in the, Yop, uh, in the database that is part of the JOP uh, activity. So we have a... So the JOP data, data portal, portal run uh, by Norway. Norway. We can Norway.
1: provide the email address, uh, the, the yes, link for it in the description of
0: the podcast. Yeah. This is a great opportunity for anyone who wants to know about uh, if you, I mean, you can look at uh, weather forecasts and so on. -hmm. But I think it's a great opportunity for master students that are thinking about doing their master project. They can use this database and and look at their favorite thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've already had one student that did this for a site in Sodanköle and looked at one of the model stations, uh, one of the models and then uh, one of the stations then, which is Sodanköle in Finland. Which is a nicely instrumented uh, site in northern Finland, which has a lot of information on the snow and so on.
1: What are the other um, sites? So we have Sodankylä in Finland. For, we have the,
0: yes. Uh, so the ones that are uh, furthest along is is uh, Utkavik, which is uh, formerly called Barrow in As- Alaska. Mm-hmm. And then we have uh, Sodankylä in northern Finland, and then we have uh, Iqaluit in in Canada, mm-hmm. which is also. Uh, so those three stations, I think, are the ones that are on the observational site are or the, or, or the ones. That are on the
1: what about Svalbard,
0: Avipath station, in New Allesund? New Allesund, they have lots of observations there. And they've also, uh, the ones that I said, is that where we have already committed people that have ah, started to put, okay. uh, put mm. these formats up, up here, put these files in, in, mm. in the right format already. Uh, there is lots of observations. But as I said, as a modeler, it's a lot of, it's a lot of work, if you're going to collect all yeah. that observations, and then, and and it's it's not, it's enough to do it once, because right. all modelers need the same kind of information. So if we can have, if we can have all this data organized once, and and writing them, and deciding on the format and the names and so on. And uh, if we do that once, then it's easy to do it again. And then other stations can follow, and then when the network will grow. So that's the, our that, it
1: that makes totally sense to me, I have to say, Gunilla, to just have one format and everyone can look at everything and not. And uh, I the information. <laughs> sitting there. in front of the computer and being puzzled
0: and also i think it's also about the ownership of the ones that are taking the observations that they put them in a format that that they want the modelers to use them because if you just let modelers use observations they will do mistakes they will do it wrong because they don't know how the observations were made and so on so so it's really having this dialogue between the observations the ones that are taking the observations and, 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 the, um, and the modelers so they yeah. talk the same language so they know what they're doing
1: exactly yeah so in, to enhance this dialogue a workshop is actually planned maybe it will be a remote workshop um, probably in fall to get these people on board who are taking care of the data at the stations to um, discuss what the, the data format could look like yeah
0: and we have a really advanced data format already in place now. We've had several people working really hard on, on that. So so a uh, group of scientists at, at NOAA have been working in the U.S. have been working really hard with data experts and so on. So I think we are very close to having a a good format for the data. Now These
1: these are called MODFs, yeah? Merged
0: Observatory Data Files? Is that the correct name? Yeah, that's the correct name. (laughs) (laughs) And then we have the Merged Model Data Files, MMDFs, which is a standard that we also have developed for the modeling side. So... Mm. And now it's really getting them. Uh, so I think it's, I mean, I've, I've been talking about like temperature and winds and so on. Those are actually the easy one because we know when there are standardized measure ways of observing them. And we know what we're doing when we're taking them out of the, of the model as well. So, so there are a number of basic things like temperature, wind and humidity and so on, which is, which is easy. But then there are the other ones where you have a remote sensing instrument, uh, like a, a LiDAR or mm-hmm. a, a radar or something, which is doing mm-hmm. vertical profiles. And putting out some information that is related to the clouds and so on. So, what what do you take out of those, and how can you compare them best to to the models? And that's where we really need to have this dialogue between.
1: So, Gunilla, um, if the world would be a paradise like mosaic is now for Arctic scientists, what would you wish to um, to get out of this job site map activity? What in, I mean, the year of polar prediction or the polar prediction project ends in 2022. We are having a big conference in May, 2022, the final summit, probably in Montreal. Um, what would be your idea um, to have at hand by then as a deliverable product, so to say?
0: So at that uh, meeting, I would like to see that the uh, database or the Yook de- Data Portal will have modeling files, so the MMDFs and MODFs, for all the upsite site locations mm-hmm. for the special observing periods, uh, both in the northern and southern hemisphere, and the TOP periods. And we, also, we actually are aiming for having the whole mosaic year, because it makes sense to have all the land stations around the Arctic yeah. for the mosaic year when we have a mosaic site. Um, and then what I really, if I, if I really have on my wish list is that then the observational centers have decided, I mean, then we have decided on a format that all the global modeling centers are used to using. We've also trained sort of the climate community. Uh, we already have the regional climate community really on board on this, uh, writing the same kind of files. mm mm-hmm. And that this will be the standard for doing this kind of intercomparison between models and observations at super sites. So you hope to make life easier? Yes, life easier for a modeler to be able to to see if uh, to easily evaluate when you do a comparison or you do an improvement in your model, you run an experiment, and then you want a lot of different places to to, uh, see if you have improved the model or not. Right. And if you work with polar Processes and you change things to make things better in the polls, it can get worse in other parts of the world. True. You need to be able to look at, at all the, everything at the same time, sort of. And I think that that will be, happen. I think if we have established this database, we have these files there, it's easy to access, easy to use. Mm-hmm. And then every time you do uh, a model update, you go back to this and see what happened for this period.
1: So you seem to be on a good way. What do you think is is still is there something? St- I mean, to achieve this, to have all the f- files in format at the job Data Portal, what is still needed
0: until twenty twenty two? You might, th- I mean, there is a big vision and there is a nice ending product here, but it's a lot of work to do this, and there's a lot of work, and and we are relying on. Uh, we don't have any support in, in terms of money or projects that mm. that we have. So it's it's about enga- engaging people and convincing them this, that this is the right thing to do. And maybe they can write proposals and get funding for doing it. Um, but that's actually one of the key things that this kind of boring work, putting uh, a lot of observations and models in, in, in files in special formats. that's something that we do sort of on the side. And mm. It's not really funded by something. Yeah. So we're relying on that the observational sites and the modeling centers are interested enough in doing this so they can spend their time and they can convince internally that they need uh, need to do this work. So I think that's the, most, that's the biggest challenge and that that's why it's not going as fast as I'd like to maybe because there are yeah, many other things that need to be done. Yeah,
1: of course. You are doing it on the side and but i mean the year of polar prediction international coordination office of of course is happy to help with that whenever there is something we can spread the word and Mm -hmm. um, use our channels social media website newsletter whatever is there so um to to make this actually happen so there might be two workshops i understood right so one um talking about the files
0: that would be the remote one Mm hmm. Well, we have to, we want to we don't want to postpone it. So we want to start. So maybe we'll have something yeah. remote one. Yeah. And then we have a science workshop as well. So so we actually had like we have like three events on the planning, but we don't know when we can, when yeah. we can have them in so yeah. the situation. So
1: we are all just hoping that it will happen at some point <laughs> very soon. And um, yeah, I think uh, wishing you all the luck with this um, your map activity and um, also the targeted observing period. So actually, we are looking forward to having another one very soon. We'll see. It's the atmosphere that decides. I can't. I can't plan what the <laughs> atmosphere is doing. So. True.
2: <laughs> we'll stay tuned and, yeah, communicate that
1: yes yeah of course i actually look forward to i would be happy if there would be another one because it was also fun engaging with the people on twitter during this challenge (laughs) to really see discussions going on and um yeah to see this moving forward okay Gunilla, I think it was really interesting. It was great uh, to Mm -hmm. to having you here and uh, really (laughs) giving the details on this because we can't do this, (laughs) Sarah Mm -hmm. and me. (laughs) We are not the pros here. Absolutely not. Okay, so thank you very much, Gunilla. It was great Mm -hmm. talking to you. Thank you, Gunilla. Thanks for all the insights. And um, yeah, we'll be in touch, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, we'll be in touch and uh, follow closely what's going on with the targeted observing periods thank you for listening <laughs> yeah thank you for listening and uh, yeah stay tuned the iSpot is produced by the year of polar prediction international coordination office with the technical support of radiovesa tv as well as the support by the communication team of mosaic and the alfred Wegner institute
2: editorial responsibility is with
1: kirstin werner and
2: sarah pascoletto
1: our theme music is composed by Kevin McLeod, available on Incompetech.com.
2: For any questions, please contact us at polarprediction at gmail.com.